Yes, uh, our sins are many, but God's mercy is more. Let's pray as we open up God's word together. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord, uh, to gather together over this uh, digital format, God, to worship you. Lord, I thank you, God, even in the midst of technical difficulties, God, it uh, reminds us of our, our need to rely on you and to rely on your mercy and your grace. And I pray, God, and thank you that you give it abundantly to each one of us when we ask. So, Lord, we thank you so much. And as we open up your word, God, I pray that you would just bless us with, uh, with it. God, that you would allow us to be able to, to leave here today, Lord, as changed people, as people who are willing to, to go out into the world and to do as you've commanded to us. So, God, we thank you so very much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, folks. I uh, thank you so much for kind of putting up with some of our technical difficulties. I'm so grateful for the team that God has placed uh, here at the church that, uh, where we just work so hard to, to get these things sorted out. And so uh, let's continue as we uh, go into our passage this morning. Well, this morning I get this uh, incredible opportunity to share with you uh, the culmination of our Easter series. <laughs> we know we're a few weeks behind, but uh, this is going to be the final wrap-up of, of our time together in this Easter season. And what we're going to look at specifically uh, is the, the ending of the book of Matthew. Uh, many times our Easter series ends with uh, the resurrection, and, and we just kind of finish off from there. But there's one final scene that's included in the Gospels that's so important, I think really helps to close out this season that we find ourselves in. Um, I don't know about you, but... Um, over the last few years, I've become a bit more of a, a, a movie buff than I have in the past. Um, maybe it had to do with the last senior pastor I worked under, but we were always at the movies. And one of the cool things that I've noticed that's included in movies these days uh, is a little preview of what's coming next that they include right at the end in the end credits. Many times it's a short clip of uh, what's the next sort of movie to come. And what's cool about these clips is that it, uh, it really draws you in into what's coming next. It makes you want to see the next uh, movie so bad. Um, and just so that you can see how the story will continue to unfold. Um, and it's really cool as we generally leave the movie theaters, what we're talking about isn't necessarily always the movie that we just watched, but what's going to come next. Uh, well, this morning we're going to look at a passage that really does this for us. It does the exact same thing. Uh, the last paragraph in the book of Matthew gives us this feeling of wonder, uh, looking for what is to come next in the story. And what I think is a really cool part of this is that you and I have a part in this story as it continues to unfold. So we're going to unpack the uh, passage in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, if you want to turn there in your Bibles this morning. And this passage says this, it says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going into the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When, he saw, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, it's such an incredible ending to our chapter this morning. You'd remember from uh, two weeks ago, our Easter service, that we talked about Jesus, how he experienced a most horrible death on the cross, uh, how he bore the mocking, the false imprisonment, the sham trial, uh, and then a beating and a death 
that he did not deserve. And you'd remember that Jesus did this to fulfill the prophecy uh, and his ultimate purpose here on earth, which was to die for the sins of the world, for you and I, for those who would place their hope and their trust in Jesus. And when we read in the passage that uh, Jesus didn't just stay in the tomb, but that he rose three days later, and we celebrate that together, that the tomb is empty, that Jesus rose from the dead as he said he would. And we see him appearing to them and spending time with these people before he finally ascends into heaven. But before he does that, he gives one last commissioning at the end of the book of Matthew. And we're going to spend some time in that this morning. Uh, in our passage, we see Jesus asked the 11 disciples that were left to go to the mountain. Uh, you might remember that there were 12 disciples, but uh, the, the one who sold Jesus out, Judas, uh, isn't in the picture anymore. And so there's only 11. They haven't chose a final replacement yet. But Jesus asked them to go into this mountain. And the cool thing is that they knew where Jesus said to go. The, the passage doesn't tell us, you know, what mountain that Jesus said to go to. We knew that these guys knew where they were going. After spending intimate time with Jesus, uh, getting to know him, following him, they knew where Jesus said to go. And you know what? They did it. And this first sentence stands out to me as important because it's the disciple following this simple command to go. And I think it's important because it shows that these guys were still willing to follow Jesus even after the whirlwind of events that had taken place. And it really frames the rest of the passage that we're going to talk about this morning. The following of this command leads us into the rest of what Jesus commands these disciples to do. And as I read, as we read it this morning, one of the questions I think uh, we ought to ask ourselves is that whether we are willing to go. Are we willing to listen to Jesus and to follow his command to go? I'm not sure what he might be asking you to go and to do. That's between you and Jesus. But maybe he's asking you into something or to do something. And, and would you be willing to go? Because believe me when I tell you that this willingness to go will change your life. This obedience to Jesus' calling has already changed the lives of these disciples, even from the very first time that Jesus asked them in the beginning of Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, verses 19 to 20, it says, Jesus called out to them, come and follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. This first ask of Jesus this immediacy that we see the disciples follow, led them into something bigger than themselves. And we see the obedience of these guys. Again, this word immediate, I love it so much. It's an immediacy that we see. And I know the times in my life where I was willing to follow Jesus and to, to follow this command to go, I was incredibly amazed at the outcome. Uh, I look back at when Bethany and I moved to Canada, uh, we left the familiarity of of home and family and, and jobs. And we left and went to a place that we had maybe visited, that we actually only visited once. And we were willing to go, and we were able to see incredible things happen because of that go. And I don't say that to, to boast, but because of the incredible things that I was able to see and be a part of by just simply going. And it's absolutely amazing when we can do that. And then we see how this simple request of go will begin to lead these guys into the rest of what Jesus has called them into. We see that this go into the mountain leads them into a place of worship. We see that whenever anyone comes into contact 
with the risen Jesus that their immediate and first response is to worship. We see this worship as a natural reaction to these people realizing who Jesus is. For the disciples, it was a guy who meant so much to them, who they had followed, who they now know was stronger than death because he is now in front of them after having died. And I think this is a reasonable response, this worship, when we come face to face with Jesus. I feel like we're compelled, that we're drawn into worship. Oswald Chambers says this, his being saved and seeing Jesus are not the same thing. Many are partakers of God's grace who've never seen Jesus. When once you've seen Jesus, you can never be the same. Other things do not appeal as they used to. And this is an incredible realization that when we truly see Jesus, we're drawn into being changed people. That the things that we had done before, the things that were part of our past life, they don't have the same allure as they once did. In Romans 12, 2, it speaks about this. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Folks, this is a result of Jesus moving in the hearts and changing us from within. It draws us into worship. It draws us into this process of Jesus changing us from within. Will this happen immediately? Maybe. For some of us, it does. But for some of us, this will be God unwinding our way of thinking, our way of life, incrementally, day by day, if we allow him to, if we let him into our hearts and let let him change us. And in this gospel, Matthew notes something so interesting. He, He writes in our passage that some doubted. I think most times we just kind of blow past that, but we find this in the passage. A better way to maybe say this is that some hesitated. And there can be many reasons why some of the people present here hesitated in this, in this moment. A commentary says this, it says, perhaps they were not sure that the person they were seeing was the one who was crucified. Perhaps they were not sure that Jesus was really risen. They may have wondered whether they were seeing a vision, not a real person. Perhaps they were not sure that it really was Jesus who was before them. You see, maybe there's some of us here this morning who's watching, who's hesitant. Maybe there's some of us who are on the fence about who this Jesus is. If Christianity is really for you, that this following Jesus is a real thing. And if that's you this morning, if you're in that place, I'd encourage you to keep searching. I'd encourage you to keep trying to find out who this Jesus is, ask somebody. Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 20 tells us this about Jesus. It says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. He says he's standing at the door of our lives, and Jesus is knocking. And if we open that door, if we allow him in, that he will come in. He'll inhabit our lives. He'll come in and, and we can experience some of what the disciples have experienced. Because we, what we find out about these disciples is, is that their whole life was changed by Jesus. And they didn't have the flashiest life. They weren't uh, the guys who were, you know, sitting pretty. But what we find out about the disciples is that they had a fulfillment, 
a joy, a mission to share this good news. It was welling up inside them so much that they had to share it with the world around them. And this was because of what Jesus had done in their lives. And then this leads us into into the final section of this commandment and this great commission. Jesus came into the disciples and he starts by telling them that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And this, folks, is Jesus making it clear to them that the limitations that were applied to him while he was on earth no longer apply to him. He is supreme authority over the universe. And because of this authority, because of Jesus being the Son of God, he now gives this next command to these disciples. He tells them to go and make disciples. Folks, this is a clear command for them to go out and to make more of themselves. Jesus spent the last three years sharing and showing these guys what a a life sold out to God looks like. In this gospel, the definition of a disciple is both a learner and a follower. A disciple in this context of Jesus is somebody who takes Jesus as their teacher, learns from him, and follows him. A life of a disciple is different than anything else because of their attachment to Jesus. Jesus is not giving these guys a command to enter into a mediocre or lukewarm acceptance into a community. He's not saying, come and be part of my country club. What Jesus is commanding them to do is to enter into a security, a hope, a joy, a wholehearted commitment to Christ that fulfills like nothing else. And we know that the disciples have done this already. When Jesus called them to come and follow him, they did it. They immediately did it. And the the interesting thing is that we know that these guys were imperfect people. We see them follow Jesus as he preached, as he did miracles throughout his time on earth, but it wasn't a seamless process. There were still messed up people like you and I. There were times in their journeys where they still needed to be corrected and set back on task for what God called them to. But the cool thing, though, is that we still see an underlying devotion and an acceptance of this call to follow Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And folks, I think we're called into the same thing. If we're a follower of Jesus, then we're called to go out and make disciples, to share with those around us this great gospel of Jesus that we've been given, this good news. Romans 1.16 reminds us of this. It says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes, first the Jew and also the Gentile. The process of discipleship making is for all of us. I don't know how God will use you specifically in this, but I do know that he wants to use each of us. I'd encourage you to spend time with God asking him, how can you be used uh, in this great opportunity of discipleship making? Maybe we need to ask ourselves to, to stop making excuses for it. You know, that maybe we're saying there's somebody else who's better at it than I am. Maybe we're saying, we would say to ourselves, we're too busy. Francis Chan makes a statement that we should really consider as we think about this. He says, most of us use the I am waiting for God to reveal his calling on my life as a means of avoiding action. Did you hear God calling you to sit in front of the television yesterday or go on to your last vacation or exercise this morning? Probably not, but you still did it. The point isn't that vacations or exercise are wrong. 
but that we are quick to rationalize our entertainment and priorities, yet are slow to commit to serving God, end quote. So with that, I think we can simply start by telling those around us about how Christ has changed our lives. Maybe putting aside these excuses and sharing with people about the amazing hope, the amazing change that God has done in our lives through Jesus. I'd encourage you to take that step. Tell people around you how Jesus has stepped into your story and into your life and has given you this hope, this peace, this joy, this satisfaction. Even in the midst, I know some of us have faced some pretty hard stuff, but we've seen God come into our lives and help us through it, to guide us through it. Maybe that's our first step in somebody's life, to help them to understand what Jesus can do in their lives, that he can do an amazing work in their lives for them. And then he, he tells these disciples to go and to make these, these disciples of all nations. This points to a worldwide scope in this mission that Jesus gives. It's a call that this message is meant for everyone. Not just a select group, but we're to take this discipleship making to the world. And the reality is that some of us might have this ability to go into the world, and some of us won't. But it doesn't stop us from being a resource. If we're one of those who aren't able to go, it doesn't stop us from being a resource to those who are going. Some of us are called to go and serve, and that's amazing. I would encourage you to do it, to go into the world and to spread this good news. It's a great thing. But again, some of us won't have that opportunity or, or aren't able to do that. And so maybe God is calling us to spread this good news by supporting those who are going or supporting those who are already there. And I'm not just talking about giving money. Money is an amazing thing that can be used uh, in foreign missions. It's needed by those who are missionaries. But maybe God is calling you into something else. Maybe God is calling you to be a prayer partner for those who are out there in missions, praying that God will use these people, that his word will impact lives and souls. Maybe God's saying that you need to be an encourager for those who are out on missions. Guys, missions, being, being out there in the field is hard. And these folks who are doing that, who are sold out to God and able to do that, they need the encouragement, the, the pep to keep going. To know that there are folks back home or are back in, in, in wherever you are who are praying for them. Just sharing that with them will go a long way in the lives of these missionaries. I'd encourage you, God's calling you to do that, to, to be that person. Then Jesus says to baptize these new disciples and to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now this is a an, an, an really incredible section because we have this calling of these new disciples to be baptized, but baptism isn't the be-all, end-all. It's not a, a stop there moment. Again, it's super important, but the disciples aren't to stop there with these new disciples. Jesus, Jesus goes on and encourages that they be taught to observe all the things that he's commanded to the disciples. In essence, to teach these new disciples what they've been taught. Now the word observe here in the Greek is teren, and it has a bit of a fuller meaning than just to observe. What the, the meaning behind this word is to hold on to, to keep, to pay attention to. There's a deeper sense just to know and to observe. 
what I think Jesus was commanding and encouraging these disciples in this moment is to have a continual action take place. He was calling these disciples into a process of instructing these new believers into having this belief, this, this newfound belief in Jesus be a way of life for them. He's telling these disciples to help these guys put into practice into their lives all that Jesus commanded them to do. And this is important because it's not a moment where we say, well, I'm just going to tell them about Jesus and then let them go out into the world on their own. It's not what Jesus is requesting of these guys. What Jesus is telling these disciples to do is that they need to come alongside these new disciples, these new believers, and effectively disciple, disciple them, to do life with them, to spend time with them, to teach them and to show them all that Jesus commanded them to do. It's got to be a process that you jump into life with these people and to help them through what's going on. In 1 Corinthians 10, 22, we see Paul encouraging the Corinthians and doing these things for the glory of God as he seeks to encourage these believers. He says this, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. I think it's important here to mention that this is where our own journey is so important with Christ. As we look to disciple others, we need to be really working on our relationship with Jesus. E.W. Tozer says this, only a disciple can make a disciple. And it sounds pretty intuitive, doesn't it? But it's a powerful statement because it calls each of us, you and I, to look into our lives and to ask ourselves if we're growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. Are we being disciples? And this isn't to knock us down, but it's to remind us that we need to be spending time with Jesus. We need to be spending time working on this relationship, growing as disciples, so that we can be effective as we go out and disciple others. And when we can do that, when we do that, folks, we see Acts 1.8 come to shape in our lives, which says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ends with a promise to his disciples. He tells them, and, I, and behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And this promise is so comforting. I don't know about you, but when I read that, it, it really just gives me a sense that Jesus is there. He doesn't tell his disciples that I will be with you, but what it is is an emphatic, I am with you. It gives a sense of certainty and a continued presence of Jesus throughout their time on earth. It's not temporary, it's something that's permanent. They'll be with these disciples for the rest of their days here on earth. Through the highs and lows of times that they'll have left, Jesus will be with them. And it's a totally an amazing statement that although Jesus would depart from them in this moment and ascend into heaven in this physical sense, he would still be very present with these disciples in spirit. Throughout the highs and lows of life as they face it, that Jesus would be there with them. Again, it's a reminder that Jesus will never, ever leave them. 
And folks, this is the same for you and I. The Gospel of Matthew concludes with this magnificent statement and assurance that as a follower of Jesus, that his presence will never be taken away from us. It will always be there with us. Remember Deuteronomy 31.6 says, So be strong and very courageous. Don't be afraid. Do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. And yes, this was for the people of Israel, but this tells us about the character of God. That he'll never leave us. That he'll never abandon us. Then in Romans 8, 38 to 39, it reminds us, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus promises to remain with us always through the highs and through the lows of life. When everything around us feels like it's crumbling to the moments where we feel like we are on top of the world. Um, I know many of us maybe have read the Footprints poem and uh, if you haven't read it recently, I, I'd encourage you to, to Google it after our time together and read it again. But I, what I love about this poem is, how, is that how it concludes and it culminates in talking about how Christ is actually the one who's carrying us, even though we might think that we're walking alone, that those single uh, set of footprints is Jesus holding on tight to each one of us and guiding us through this life because he cares for us. And if we place our hope and our trust in him, we'll be reminded of this regularly. We'll know this. So as we end our time together, I want to just encourage you to spend some time this week reflecting on the Great Commission. We see Jesus tell us to go, and we see this go lead us into worship. And we see this lead us into a call to be disciples and to make disciples. Let's spend some time this week working through where we are, where you and I are in this set of commands. Are we at the point tonight or this morning of checking out who this Jesus guy really is? Are we still unsure about that? If you're in that place, I'd encourage you to talk to somebody that you know who's a Christian. Ask them why have they placed their hope and trust in Jesus. If you need a Bible, I would encourage you to download the YouVersion app on your phone and spend some time really trying to figure out who Jesus is. And if you're a believer this morning, I want you to, I want to encourage you to take this command to heart. I want to encourage you to grow in your faith in Jesus this morning, to take action with it. I want to encourage you to go out and tell somebody about it. This is an amazing, great news that you and I have that God's given us that he doesn't want us to, to keep just to ourselves, but he wants us to tell others about it. And when we do tell others about it, I want to encourage us to do it with gentleness and respect. And when we can share this good news with those around us, it really shows them that we love them. Because we're not willing to keep this to ourselves. 
I want to encourage us to be great, great commission-minded as we go out today, as we desire to see our world change, as we desire to see Bermuda changed to God. Let's see that happen today. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this last commission for each one of us. God, I pray, Lord, this morning that we, we wouldn't just end today and, and say, you know what, I'm good. I'm good for this next week. I can go out and do whatever. But God, I pray that we would just spend time today reflecting on this passage, reflecting on, God, where we are in this continuum. God, are we, are we people who need to say yes to you? Are we people who need to maybe put aside the excuses? Are we people who need to be sharing this good news with those around us? Are we needing to come alongside somebody and be a discipleship maker? God, wherever we are, I pray, God, that we would actually do it, that we would take the example of the disciples and immediately go and follow you in that. God, we thank you so much that you've given us this great news, Lord, that we, we ought to not keep to ourselves. God, I pray that you would guide us in this. That, Lord, as we spend time praying to you, Lord, that you would give us exactly where we need to go, what we need to do. Lord, I'm grateful that you are also always with us. That, God, you would never, ever leave us. Lord, that this promise is true for each one of us. I pray that we would never forget that. As I mentioned, in the highs of life and, God, in the lows of life, Lord, I pray that we would never forget that. So, God, I thank you again for this morning. I pray, God, that you would uh, continue to be with us as we continue our service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.